0: Marjorie has won many prizes, both for her poetry and her human rights work, including the Latino Literature Prize for Poetry and the Letras de Oro Prize for Poetry in 1995, and the 2004 National Mujer Award, awarded by the National Hispana Leadership Institute for her significant contributions to the empowerment and well-being of the Hispanic community. But the prize that Marjorie holds most dear is the Gabriela Mistral Medal of Honor that she was awarded by the government of her native Chile for her lifetime achievement. Marjorie's passionate commitment to human rights and her unique poetic sensibility make her the perfect interlocutor for this afternoon's reading, and I look forward to their conversation. So I'll hand things over to Marjorie to introduce our guests. For those of you not familiar with the format, our poets will each read, uh, and then Marjorie and the two poets will engage in a conversation for a little bit, and then we'll open it up to you for questions. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you you for coming.
1: Uh, Welcome to the new house, and uh, welcome to the college. Especially, welcome both of you. Uh, I've decided to be a very serious grown-up, and um, I will uh, read this introduction because I think that uh, I want very much to honor the work of Araceli and Martine. As we read the poetry of Araceli Germay, we learn with great acuteness the mystery of our hands, the joy of our legs, the grandiosity of the body and earth itself, and how this body can be revealed and retold through the beauty of her unique voice. And I quote a poem from Araceli from Kingdom Animalia. This earth with the jaw in its hand Brown chariot take you home, earth chew you up with the quiet work of animals and trees. To read the poetry of Araceli Germain is to enter a world of enchantment of ancestral lands, a world of abundance and beauty as well as a world that dares to dialogue with the unspeakable. Each poem is crafted as a delicate jewel and it seems that also each poem has the ability to hold the world and one can hear the sounds of the universe in the diminutive words Araceli Germain uses to evoke the universe around her. In a masterful poem, and I'm sorry I have to read it. Noche de lluvia, San Salvador. Rain, who nails the earth, whose infinite legs nail the earth, whose silver faces touch my faces, I marry you and open all the windows of my house to hear your million feral versions of C, C, C. See, see. I have never imagined that the word sea can fill the universe and the bodies of water found in our planet, but it does. Other poems, La Boda del Mar y la Arena, A Blooming Tree Where Spring Is a Young Man in His Back, or Self Portrait as a Snake, are poems that contain A rich landscape of words, a landscape of sounds and images, so pictorial and so aesthetically extraordinary that one must pause and reflect upon the reading of these poems, and then they stay inside your soul like the fresh taste of watermelon. And I quote, ripe conjugations of water and sun. Araceli's work begins with a scent that slowly moves to sound, to images and to the essence of poetry herself. Here we find the presence of Neruda's odes, but her ode is so very much her own, and we also find the many voices that are part of her abandoned heritage and the fusion of Eritrean, Puerto Rican and African traditions. And as Germay's poetry is both human, divine, often sublime, it is a poetry that asks us to consider the hands that write a letter, the body and the soul, to think of Chernobyl, or in Arros Poetica, which is not poetic rice, but is Ars Poetica, to think of our enemies, those that are not hungry, those that lack nothing and at the same time lack all. I invite the audience to listen to these two extraordinary voices who are vessels to hold our world, voices that inspire, transcend, and force us to become witnesses of ourselves.
2: Thank you for your introduction, Marjorie. Um, thank you to everyone for uh, um, having me, having us. Um, it's a beautiful campus and it's an honor to get to um, be here reading with Martina Espada and introduced by Marjorie Agosin. Um And um, thank you for organizing and inviting. Um, I'm going to try to start with a Lucille Clifton poem, Um, Won't You Celebrate With Me. Does anybody know that poem? If if I stumble maybe you can help. (laughs) Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model born in Babylon both non-white and woman what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight, my other hand. Come, celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Kingdom Animalia. When I get the call about my brother, I'm on a stopped train, leaving town. And the news packs into me, freight, though it's him on the other end now, saying, fine, fine. Forfeit my eyes, I want to turn away from the hair on the floor of his house and how it got there Monday. But my one heart falls like a sad, fat persimmon, dropped by the hand of the Turkson's old tree. I want to sleep. I do not want to sleep, see. One day, not today, not now, we will be gone from this earth where we know the gladiolas. My brother, this noise, Some love, you I loved, with all my brain and breath will be gone. I've been told today to consider this as I ride the long tracks out and dream so good. I see a plant in the window of the house my brother shares with his love, their shoes. And there he is, asleep in bed, with this same woman whose long skin covers all of her bones in a city called Oakland and their dreams hang above them a little like a chandelier and their teeth flash in the night, oh, body. Oh, body, be held now by whom you love. Whole years will be spent underneath these impossible stars when dirt's the only animal who will sleep with you and touch you with its mouth. This poem's called Abuelo Mi Muerto, and um, a lot of the poems in the new book are um, elegies, and um, I spent, my mom's uh, born and raised in Chicago, and my dad's um, born and raised in um, Addis Ababa, but family in Asmara, and I've spent time there these last five years um, in both places, and I think a lot of the poems are trying to find traces of people who I didn't know well or um, trying trying to find the stories that I've heard in the landscapes. So this is Abuelo Mi Muerto. Abuelo, I've walked three nights in the last city you breathed in, trying to read everything. The birds, the buildings, the rain, and still no luck which means nothing more than I am dense and far from you. Though this is your town, your Sunday walk haberdashery, your way back home from the train and trees you passed a thousand times like a child below the gray gaze of its mothers. How could I be lost here in your jackal-mouthed murderous streets who swallowed your children abuelo while the church bells marked the parish an hour? The uncles and aunts strewn about like funeral carnations. Sometimes it is so hard to hear you in the outside language of crows, though my window's an open eye. Hard to understand what the hawk is spelling as it moves just so in the sky. My head is thick, but I know you are telling me something when I hear the rooster crow. Or the hawk there, circling Mostly it's the birds who send me looking For the lost room of your face The last memory I have of you was in El Toro My mother clipped your toenails off an old and naked foot While the other one slept in a basin on the floor Sluggish catfish, sleeping fish like a fisherman's catch In the bucket, alive but nearly dying Do you remember? Do you remember? This is my only proof. Memory tells me I am yours. I am yours, abuelo. If the pigeons can wear the same face in every city, the same red feet singing the same songs and so on and so on, can't you come back, abuelo? Tell me which are the graves I should visit and clean, which river I should bring my flowers to, which of the miracles fills your marigold chest. Which is the joke you loved the most? What is the name of the desert I should think? Come back. In a body I can see from the window of this crowded city train. Board the train. Sit beside me for a while and tell me things. Do not let me mistake you for a shadow or a gull. And if I start to pass you on the street, abuelo, shout my name, shout it please. Tug my shirt or hair, make me turn. Just a moment, send me home with a message my mother will believe, wear a body I can see with my slowest eye. Speak a language whose words I cannot help but wear like a family feather in my black and grandfather hair. This is um, <clears throat> La Boda del Mar, Yarena. If we, for long enough, Look, with the clean eyes of children, at what this big house is saying. We will start to understand the language of our parents, what the salt means. I do not want to marry the wind, who leaves me things the color of gold, whose tracks mark a serpent round the house. More, more than parrots, more than gold, I want my love to know my ear, my love, I want to know your ear. And in this instant, that is as long as my life, I stand rigged with bones beside the window. Beneath the purple dark of evening coming, the sea and beach move into each other's mouths, particle by particle. Each one wanders the big rooms of the other. Oh God, let us love like they love. Um, So, Years, um, maybe it's four or five years ago, I went to the Calabash um, Festival, organized by Kwame Dawes and Colin Channer, and I read, um, I would take this run every day, every morning, to the beach, and then I'd come back, and on my way back, these little goats would um, circle around my feet, and I, their little goat eyes, I was so touched by them. and I. This, that's a bad segue, but I love the taste. I loved goat meat, but um, <laughs> that's not a good segue, but then I was, I was thinking about their, po- their eyes, their eyes, and I was working on this poem, and then I realized the poem pushed me into a room that surprised me, and now I don't eat goat meat anymore um, because of what I, this poem. Um, It's called St. Elizabeth, which is the parish, um, one of the parishes in Jamaica, the parish where I was staying. Um, I run high in my body on the road towards sea. I fall in love, the things the wind is telling me. The yellow sky quiet in her quiet dress. Old birds sending news from the reddish hills. And the one hawk flying In the distance overhead, that hawk is what the wind says. In love with the heaving of my peacock chest, with my lungs, two wings, such flying things, but mine for now, just for now, as I open my stride above the good dirt road, fall in love with the mustard and coriander dust and the far, far mountain beveled by light, by rain, the easy eye of the sun now, smoke floating across the hillside like a face I knew once very well. Very well, I fall in love with the flowers and the wash hung like prayer flags in Red Juanita's yard, in love with the earth, the color of earth, in love with the goats, their bellies and hooves, and the goat mouths bleating as they greet me on the road. I fall in love how they wear their strange and double eyes, how they do not blink or laugh at me, or say a thing I understand when I ask them in my English, because they circle around my feet as if they always knew me. Were you my children once? Did I know your names? Oh, little magics, little children. This is um, called Ode to the Letter, sorry, Ode to the Little R. Little propeller working between the two fields of my A's, making my name a small boat that leaves the port of old San Juan or Ponce with my grandfather Miguel on a boat or in an airplane, with a 100 or so others leaving the island for work, cities in winters that would break their bones, make old, old men out of all of them, factory workers, domino players, little islands themselves who would eat and be eaten by Chicago, New York, the wars they fought without being able to vote for the president. Little propeller of their names, Francisco, Raimundo, Arelis, Margarita, Hernan, Roberto, Reina. Little propeller of our names, delivering the cargo of blood to the streets of Holyoke, Brooklyn, New London, Ohio, where the teacher says, say your name sweetly and the beautiful propeller working between the two fields of my A's and the teacher saying oh you mean Aracelis or Roberto or Margarita like the drink and the R sounding like a balloon deflating in the room sad and sagging I am hurt it is as if I handed her all my familiar trees and flowers every drawing of the family map and boats and airplanes and cuatros and coquis, and she used her english to make an axe and tried to chop them down but our little propeller of my name small and beautiful monster changing shapes you win You fly around the room, little bee, upsetting the teacher and making all of class 310A laugh. You fly over the yard in our mouths as our bodies make airplanes over the grass. You, little propeller, are taking over the city. You are the sound of cars racing the sound of bicycle spokes fitted with playing cards to make it sound like we are going fast. This is our ode to you, little R, little machine of our name, simple as a heart just working always. There when we go to the grocery, there in the songs we sing in our sleep. <clears throat> this is, um, I think I'll read three more poems. This is two poems, but I, I hope that they speak to each other. Elegy and Gold, and then um, I'm just gonna go straight into a quote, um, an excerpt from Henry Dumas's Outer Space Blues, and um, Henry Dumas, poet, folklorist. You could also hear him in conversation um, with him, um, Sun Ra. Um, I think you can find it on iTunes, but um, he was killed by a New York City Transit policeman. Um, and I think that's important to know in this poem. Elegy in gold. Earring, tooth, dog breath, shoe, mango fruit or pocket watch, sunlight on my love's elbow, sunlight in the kettle steam. We walk in the rubble of the African dream, brushing shipwreck from our hair and dresses. This is the country of the gone away. Harlem, you wear the missing like a golden chain. People, I heard the news the other day, like to scare me half to death. TV says a spaceship's coming here. If it do, won't be no people left. But I tell you folks, spaceship can't be so bad. I've been on Earth all my life, and all my life I've been mad. Night for Henry Dumas. Henry Dumas, 1934 to 1968, did not die by a spaceship or flying saucer or outer space at all, but was shot down at 33 by a New York City Transit policeman. Will be shot down May 23rd, coming home in just six days by a New York City Transit Policeman in the subway station singing and thinking of a poem What he's about to eat will be was is right now shot down this sad conjugation happening yesterday Happened tomorrow will happen now Under the ground and above the ground at Lenox and 125th in Harlem, Tennessee Memphis New York, Watts, Queens. 1157 Wheeler Avenue, San Quentin, above which sky swings down a giant rope, says climb me into heaven or follow me home. And Henry, and Amadou, and Malcolm, and Oscar, and Sean, and King, And the night hangs over the men and their faces And the night grows thick above the streets I swear it is more blue, more black tonight With the men going up there Bring the children out to see who their uncles are And the last poem I'll read um, was made after I got a card From a student, a young young student I was working with Um, and she wrote this long word that I had never seen before. If you've worked with elementary school students. Um, L-O-I-S-F-O-E-R-I-B-A-R-I. And so this is trying to understand what she was saying. For Stephanie Lora. Elephant on an orange line underneath a yellow circle meaning sun. Six green vertical lines with color all from the top, meaning flowers. The first time I peel back the five squares of Scotch tape, unfold the crooked crease fold of art class paper, I am in my living room. It is June. Inside of the card, there is one long word, and then Estefany's name Lois Ruriborri. Estefany Lora. Lois Ruriborri? Lois furribori, the scientific, latinate way of saying hibiscus, Lois Furibori, a direction as in, are you going north, south, east, west, Lois (laughs) Furibori? I try over and over to read the word out loud, Lois Furibori, Lois Furibori, Lois Furibori, Lois Furibori. What is this word? I imagine using it in sentences like Man, I have to go back to the house. I forgot my Lois Ruribari. <laughs> or There's nothing better than rain, hot rain, open windows with music and a tall glass of Lois Ruribari. Or How are we getting to Pittsburgh? Should we drive or take the Lois Bari? I have lived four minutes with this word not knowing what it means. It is the end of the year. I consider writing my student Estefany Lora a letter that goes to the brilliant Estefany Lora. Hola querida, I hope that you are well. I've just opened the card that you made me and it is beautiful. I really love the way you filled the sky with birds. I believe that you are chula chulita and super fly. Yes, the card is beautiful. I only have one question for you <laughs> What does the word Los mean? I try the word again Los Ruri Los Los I try the word in Spanish Los Veribari Los Los And then slowly Lo Ifo Eri Bari Lo Isfo Eri Bari love is for everybody love is for every everybody love 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 everybody love everybody love love is love everybody everybody is love 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 for love for everybody for love is everybody love is for every love is for everybody love 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 for body love body body is love love is body everybody is love is every love for every love is love for love, everybody, love, 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 love for everybody. Love is for everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Beautiful. Okay. And now Martin. In the most sacred days of the Jewish calendars which are happening now entering the year 5,772 tradition says to do a good deed and to enter the year with a clean heart and a pure tongue. I feel so very joyful and honored to introduce Saraceli and Martin, these two poets that give us the possibility to think of the visible and the invisible world and hopefully to alleviate human suffering. I met Martin Espada so long ago that I cannot remember. But like memory itself and like poetry, I remember instances, his wife Catherine, fugitive moments, for example, I remember his wedding day at the Jamaica Plain Arboretum, where I saw him away from everyone, just looking at the trees, just dreaming. We began reading at the Cambridge Public Library, small bookstores, And in every reading, Martin's voice, its softness as well as its strength always remained with me as a presence, as a ray of light, or often a shadow in the forest of ambiguity. Martin's work grew meteorically. He won many awards that you could all find in Google's. too numerous to mention, and published many books to great accolades. More important, he became for many, many the Latino poets of our generations and many generations to come, a poet that one can read, find refuge, solace, mostly accountability and honesty. Martini is a poet deeply immersed in the quest for social justice as well as beauty. A poet that never allows his readers to forget our humanity. He writes tenderly about his father or a slave in litany for Frederick Douglass or he meditates upon the truth tellers. In The Trouble Ball, his most recent book, you will find in these verses the voice of a mature, accomplished poet and at the same time his unique voice, a voice deeply tender, angry and never angry, and at the same time a voice that always asks us to become a witness to our humanity. I especially find myself in the Republic of poetry, as Martin truly becomes the voice of Chile, the voice of the disappear, and more so a lighthouse, where the confluence of refuge and permanence is steady. He is a clear harbor. As I read through these poems, I found much that moved me and will move all of us and healed me. Like the poem dedicated to fellow poet Jorge Montalegre, a friend in prison in many concentration camps in Chile, and especially in Chacabulco, and also another poem about Jorge hiding books in prison. In Chile, and everywhere he is often compared to the Pablo Neruda of the North. But more importantly, he is read in Latin America and not, not, not only in academic circles, but his poetry reaches students, ladies in the market, the gatekeeper in Neruda's home in Isla Negra. Martinez Pada comes from the island of Puerto Rico. But like a magnificent wave, he crosses borders, he makes us see the pool of torture in Villa Grimaldi, in the outskirts of Santiago, or we travel with him to bury our dear Sandy Taylor, a valiant publisher of poetry and other writings. I hope you will immerse yourself in these readings and in Martin's imaginary but not only to engage in his world, but also to engage in ours, to become more profound, to become more whole. Thank you.
3: Buenas tardes. tardes. Muy bien. Thank you all for being here um, this afternoon slash this evening. Uh, Thank you, Marjorie, for that beautiful introduction. Marjorie and I have been friends for uh, more than 20 years. Uh, Way more than 20 years. maybe 120 years. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Ariselis for that beautiful reading. I'm going to read mostly from my new book, but I'm going to start with a poem from my previous book, um, Alabanza, that uh, takes me back to the island of Puerto Rico, where my roots are, my family. Uh, And this is a poem in particular about the music of Puerto Rico, and especially the music brought by the slaves from West Africa with their religion. which survived every attempt by the Spanish to stamp it out and is now an essential part of Puerto Rican identity and culture. Well, if you go to Viejo San Juan, if you go to the old city, you'll find a street there called San Sebastián, Saint Sebastian Street, which is famous for its music. There's a big festival there and all year long you can hear this music coming from the cafes, the bars, the clubs on the street itself, and much of it music that came originally with the slaves from West Africa and their religion. So for me, San Sebastián is a street of miracles, a street where the impossible can happen, even the end of war and the return of the dead. There's a very simple Spanish refrain in this poem, in la calle San Sebastián, on Saint Sebastian Street. So I hope you can hear the music in the words. in la calle San Sebastián, viajo San Juan, Puerto Rico. Here in a bar on the street of the saint, de la calle San Sebastián, a dancer in white with a red, red scarf in la calle San Sebastián, calls to the gods who were freed by slaves in La Calle San Sebastián and his bronze face is a lantern of sweat in La Calle San Sebastián and hands smack gongas like flies in the field in La Calle San Sebastián and remember the beat of packing crates in La Calle San Sebastián from the days when overseers banish the drum in La Calle San Sebastián and trumpets screech like parrots of gold in La Calle San Sebastián trumpets that herald the end of the war in La Calle San Sebastián as soldiers toss rifles on cobblestone in La Calle San Sebastián. And the saint himself snaps an arrow in half in La Calle San Sebastián. Then lost grandfathers and fathers appear in La Calle San Sebastián fingers tugging my steel wool beard in La Calle San Sebastián, whispering your beard is gray in La Calle San Sebastián, spilling their rum across the table in La Calle San Sebastián. Two cousins lead them away to bed in la calle San Sebastián and the dancer in white with the face of bronze in la calle San Sebastián shakes rain from his hair like the god of storms in la calle San Sebastián and sings to the blood that drums in the chest in la calle San Sebastián and praises the blood that beats in the hands in la calle San Sebastián, and la calle San Sebastián. I am uh, from the tropical paradise of Brooklyn, New York. I'm from the East New York section of Brooklyn. Grew up in the Linden Projects, and that is where I met my first poet. His name was Jack Agüeros. Not only a poet, but a fiction writer, an essayist, a translator, the translator of Julio de Burgos, uh, and the director of El Museo del Barrio in East Harlem would organize a big uh, parade of camels and sheep every the Regis, Three Kings Day. Well, um, Jack now has advanced Alzheimer's disease. A few years ago, a bunch of us got together and held a fundraiser uh, for Jack in East Harlem, uh, just as his memory was starting to go. And uh, there are lots of elegies in this book, and I do believe in writing elegies, but I now especially believe in writing elegies for the living while they're still here while they can still understand and know that they're appreciated and even loved. So that's the genesis of this poem. It's about the first time I met my first poet. Blessed be the truth tellers for Jack Agueros. In the projects of Brooklyn, everyone lied. My mother used to say, if somebody starts a fight, just walk away then somebody would smack the back of my head and dance around me in a circle laughing when I was 12 pus bubbled on my tonsils and everyone said after the operation you can have all the ice cream you want I bragged about the deal No longer would I chase the ice cream truck down the street, panting at the bells to catch Johnny the Ice Cream Man, who allegedly sold heroin the color of vanilla from the same window. Then... Jack, the truth-teller, visited the projects. Jack, who herded real camels and sheep through the snow of East Harlem every three kings' day. Jack, who wrote sonnets of the jail cell and the racetrack and the boxing ring. Jack, who crossed his arms in a hunger strike until the mayor hired more Puerto Ricans. And Jack said, You're gonna get your tonsils out? Ay, bendito frito Puerto Rico. That's gonna hurt. <laughs> I was etherized, then woke up on the ward, heaving black water onto white sheets. A man poking through his hospital gown leaned over me and sneered, you think you got it tough? Look at this, and showed me the cauliflower tumor behind his ear, I heaved up black water again. The ice cream burned. Vanilla was a snowball spiked with bits of glass. My throat was red as a tunnel on fire after the head-on collision of two gasoline trucks. This is how I learned to trust the poets and shepherds of East Harlem. Blessed be the truth-tellers, for they shall have all the ice cream they want. (laughs) So now, I am a poet, and I am the one everyone approaches with questions, especially the young poets. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I am going to speculate that there are a few young poets in the audience. Safe bet. And so, in the age of email, I am bombarded with questions. I decided to come up with one stock answer for all the questions. This is it, so lean in. Advice to young poets. Never pretend to be a unicorn by sticking a plunger on your head. That's it. And she gets it. (laughs) Sometimes people, what does that mean? You're frustrating me. Well, first of all, two things. First of all, it's based on a true story that actually happened to a student of mine, a UMass student. Um, And secondly, what does it mean? Well, I'm not going to go into a 20 minute explanation of a 10 second poem, although that would be the academic thing to do. (laughs) I will say this, another poet said it much better centuries ago, this above all to thine own self be true. And speaking of poets, in the introduction, Marjorie mentioned a poet by the name of Jorge Montalegre. Jorge Montalegre is a poet from Chile he was, as Marjorie said, a political prisoner. He was uh, incarcerated in the concentration camps. Following the coup in September of 1973, they brought General Agosto Pinochet and his fascist junta to power. Um, Montalegre um, is an extraordinary poet in person. I met him on my second visit to Chile in 2007. And this is all about his discovery of poetry, and particularly his adventure around the first book he ever published and the first reading he ever did from that book. So here we're going totally postmodern, reflexive, the gaze, the whole thing, because here is a poem about a poetry reading, among many other things. Montalegre, by the way, means joyful mountain in Spanish. This poem is called the Buried Book of Jorge Montelegre, Santiago, Chile. Montelegre, Montelegre, another name on the list of subversives. The soldiers burned his books and made him watch. At Chacabuco, the prison camp in a desert of abandoned salt mines where rain never spatters the dust, Montelegre kept a box of books the other inmates called the library, guarding the rectangle of cardboard as if a fallen bird struggled to breathe inside. Montalegre wrote his first poem, in a cell without light, in a land without rain. The other inmates gave him a diploma and a can of coffee for his adolescent verses. Montelegre, Montelegre, exiled to Rome where the fires of Chile glimmered in his sleep. In his country everything was gone to smoke, the books and the bodies of the disappeared, so Montelegre turned to smoke, coming home unseen through ports and desert sky. In Santiago, Compañero smuggled him the book of poems the poet typed at night in the city of exile but had never seen. The name Montalegre on the cover, pages flapping and trembling in his hands for the first time, the bird in the box still alive. A group forbidden to gather by the dictator gathered at the chapel to hear the poet chant his songs of Chacabuco, Land Without Rain. Montalegre, Montalegre. The poet read the poems, and the clouds scattered drops clear and fat in the desert far away, the first rain in a hundred years. Montalegre wandered through the incandescent desert of the book till someone tugged his sleeve to stop his tongue. Montalegre, stop, someone said. I've read too long, he thought, but he was wrong. The police crept in a circle around them, carabineros rapping at the chapel door. Montelegre, Montelegre, the fire in his dreams came back again, burning in the garden behind the chapel. Hurried hands flung, documents of incrimination, names, addresses, numbers. Montelegre saw his name accusing him in black letters on the cover of the book. He tore the cover off and watched the paper shrivel in the flames, but could not bring himself to burn the book, to make a burnt offering of this creature with a heartbeat, the words with wings that would combust in hellish air. Montalegre buried his only book, clawing at the earth, then walked out the chapel door, hands above his head, knees damp with mud, to face the carabineros. Montelegre, Montelegre, the name means joyful mountain. The dictator was indicted for crimes against humanity and stiffened in a stroke when he heard the news. Montelegre's black beard is turning gray. He is standing by the window with a cup of black coffee. Tomorrow or a hundred years from now, the chief of police could pass out a truckload of shovels and the carabineros could dig all night in the garden behind the chapel, gouge a thousand holes in the ground and never find the book. Montelegre, Montelegre, he will not dig up the book. He would tell you that the poems came from the dust of the desert and have returned to dust. He is the rain that fell on fire in Chile. In a land of burning books, Jorge Montalegre saved a book from burning. I happen to believe that the single most important human rights issue facing our country today is the issue of immigration. And the last three poems I'm going to read um, this afternoon will deal with immigration. This first poem is a very short poem. It's a found poem I discovered in an email newsletter from uh, the Mesilla Cultural Center in Mesilla, New Mexico. This poem (coughs) is called Mr. and Mrs. Rodriguez have been deported, leaving six children behind with the neighbors. Please donate shoes to this family. Care the Mesilla Cultural Center. Rodriguez, family, shoe sizes. Marina, age 17, size 6. Rocio, age 15, size five. Memo, age 13, size seven. Jesus, age 12, size seven. Jose, age eight, size four. Ana, age five, size three. The uh, backlash uh, against immigrants in this country today, which comes not by coincidence with uh, yet another economic downturn, uh, reminded me of something that happened in my own life 30 years ago. And that is the source of the next poem. Uh, Most of you probably know this, but a corrido is a Mexican storytelling song, a Mexican narrative song. Uh, I refer to that in this poem. I refer also to Zapata, of course, the Mexican Revolutionary. And uh, I use a phrase in Spanish, Quiero ver las fotos, which simply means I want to see the pictures. So, here we go. Again, a chapter out of my own life 30 years ago, true story, Isabel's Corrido, or Isabel. Francisca said, marry my sister so she can stay in the country. I had nothing else to do. I was 23 and always cold, skidding in cigarette coupon boots from lamppost to lamppost through January in Wisconsin. Francisca and Isabel washed bedsheets at the hotel, sweating in the humidity of the laundry room, conspiring in Spanish. I met her the next day. Isabel was 19 from a village where the elders spoke the language of the Aztecs. She would smile whenever the ice pellets of English clattered around her head. When the justice of the peace said, You may kiss the bride, our lips brushed for the first and only time. The borrowed ring was too small, jammed into my knuckle. There were snapshots of the wedding and champagne in plastic cups. Francisca said, The snapshots will be proof for immigration. We heard rumors of the interview They would ask me the color of her underwear. They would ask her who rode on top. We invented answers and rehearsed our lines. We flipped through immigration forms at the kitchen table the way other couples shuffled cards for gin rummy. After every hand, I deal again. Isabel would say, Quiero ver las fotos. She wanted to see the pictures of a wedding that happened but did not happen, her face inexplicably happy, me hoisting a green bottle dizzy after half a cup of champagne. Francisca said, She can sing corridos, songs of love and revolution from the land of Zapata. All night, Isabel sang corridos in a barroom where no one understood a word. I was the bouncer and her husband, so I hushed the squabbling drunks who blinked like tortoises in the sun. Her boyfriend and his beer cans never understood why she married me once he kicked the front door down and the blast shook the house as if a hand grenade detonated in the hallway when the cops arrived i was the translator watching the sergeant watching her the inscrutable squaw from every western he had ever seen bare feet and long black hair we lived behind a broken door we lived in a city hidden from the city. When her headaches began, no one called a doctor. When she disappeared for days, no one called the police. When we rehearsed the questions for immigration, Isabel would squint and smile. Quiero ver las fotos, she would say. The interview was canceled, like a play on opening night shut down when the actors are too drunk to take the stage. After she left, I found her crayon drawing of a bluebird tacked to the bedroom wall. I left, too, and did not think of Isabel again until the night Francisca called to say, your wife is dead. Something was growing in her brain. I imagined my wife, who was not my wife, who never slept beside me, sleeping in the ground, wondered if my name was carved into the cross above her head. No epitaph and no corrido. Another ghost in a riot of ghosts evaporating from the skin of dead Mexicans who staggered for days without water through the desert. Thirty years ago, A girl from the land of Zapata kissed me once on the lips and died with my name nailed to hers like a broken door. I kept a snapshot of the wedding. Yesterday it washed ashore on my desk. There was a conspiracy to commit a crime. This is my confession. I do it again. Now, I'll finish with this poem, which has to do with immigrants as well, and also has to do with 9-11. Of course, we just marked the 10th anniversary. Um, this is a 9-11 poem with a twist, because the focus is on the food service workers who were killed that day, uh, most of them immigrant and many of them undocumented, invisible in life, even more invisible in death. Uh, The word alabanza, of course, means praise in Spanish. And uh, the full title of this poem is Alabanza in Praise of Local 100 for the 43 members of hotel employees and restaurant employees, local 100, working at the windows on the world restaurant who lost their lives in the attack on the World Trade Center. And I'll finish with this. Alabanza. Praise the cook with the shaven head and a tattoo on his shoulder that said, Oye, a blue-eyed Puerto Rican with people from Fajardo, the harbor of pirates centuries ago. Praise the lighthouse in Fajardo, candle glimmering white to worship the dark saint of the sea. Alabanza. Praise the cook's yellow pirate's cap, worn in the name of Roberto Clemente, his plane that flamed into the ocean, loaded with cans for Nicaragua, for all the mouths chewing the ash of earthquakes. Alabanza. Praise the kitchen radio, dial clicked even before the dial on the oven, so that music and Spanish rose before bread. Praise the bread. Alabanza. Praise Manhattan from 107 flights up like Atlantis glimpsed through the windows of an ancient aquarium. Praise the great windows where immigrants from the kitchen could squint and almost see their world. Hear the chant of nations. Ecuador, Mexico, República Dominicana, Haiti, Yemen, Ghana, Bangladesh, Alabanza. Praise the kitchen in the morning where the gas burned blue on every stove and exhaust fans fired their diminutive propellers. Hands cracked eggs with quick thumbs or sliced open cartons to build an altar of cans. Alabanza. Praise the busboy's music, the chime, chime of his dishes and silverware in the tub. Alabanza. Praise the dish dog, the dishwasher who worked that morning because another dishwasher could not stop coughing, or because he needed overtime to pile the sacks of rice and beans for a family floating away on some Caribbean island plagued by frogs, Alavanza, raised the waitress who heard the radio in the kitchen and sang to herself about a man gone, Alavanza. After the thunder. Wilder than thunder, after the shudder deep in the glass of the great windows, after the radio stopped singing like a tree full of terrified frogs, after night burst the dam of day and flooded the kitchen, for a time the stoves glowed in darkness, like the lighthouse in Fajardo, like a cook's soul. Soul, I say even if the dead cannot tell us about the bristles of God's beard because God has no face. Soul, I say, to name the smoke beings flung in constellations across the night sky of this city and cities to come. Alabanza, I say, even if God has no face. Alabanza. When the war began, From Manhattan and Kabul, two constellations of smoke rose and drifted to each other, mingling in icy air, and one said with an Afghan tongue, teach me to dance, we have no music here. And the other said with a Spanish tongue, I will teach you, music is all we have. Muchas gracias, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Martín and Araceli. I'll just begin asking you a very, not, not this is not questions, but it's conversation, and then uh, I'd like to welcome everyone here to share. Um, and I'm curious um, about, in your both of your poetry, there's so much of the Spanish sounds, melodies, African rhythms, you both live in New England, you write quite a bit in English. How does this, the voice that we hear in your poem, translates into another language, how does in a way uh, your soul translates uh, into English? Uh, for both of
3: you. Are we supposed to stay down here? Yes, Martin. <laughs> okay.
1: You are too tall to stand next to me. I don't know.
3: It's it very hard for me to talk without moving You around? want to sit? Okay, to... I, that's yeah. fine. I, for me, the language is blurred. There really is no distinction. Um, when English and Spanish come together to make poetry, Uh, Obviously, I'm conscious I'm speaking English right now. I am aware of that. Uh, That is my first language. English is my first language and Spanish is my second language. Um, I was born in Brooklyn and and there are some places in Brooklyn where English is still spoken. Um, But when it comes to poetry, poetry is is a a third language. It's all languages. And so uh, the English and Spanish rhythms Come together in, in a, a way that, to me, is a blur. It's not seamless, nor is it effortless. It's more like bumper cars, if you can visualize that. You know, the languages banging together in my head and spinning around. Um, but when I write a poem like the poem you just heard, to me, I'm I'm I am conscious of the music of Spanish. But to me, that's that's the only word I could have used there. It, it just imagine that poem without that word. Just, you know. Praise, 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 praise. It'd get really redundant. But Alabanza doesn't. So uh, you know, there is this, uh, there is this, uh, I don't know, uh, the Poetino Villanueva once called it bisensibility. You know, you're sort of aware of the world in two languages. And, and of course, in the United States, that's a very big deal to be bilingual and still very controversial. But all you have to do is go somewhere else in the world and you'll find people speaking six, seven, eight languages. I was astonished when I went to Norway. I did did like a whirlwind tour of Norway. I was there for like three days. (laughs) I didn't know it was up by the North Pole or the South Pole, wherever it is. It was far. And I ran into people who routinely spoke seven or eight languages. Extraordinary. And they'd explain it in the most matter-of-fact way. Well, there are two Norwegian languages. You have to speak both of those. And they're, you know, Swedish, and the Swedes occupied Norway. You have to speak Swedish. And then there's Danish. Well, you know, the Danes occupied Norway, so you have to speak Danish. And then there's Sami. That's the indigenous language of Norway. You have to speak that, you know. Um, and then, of course, we, we all take uh, English in school, you know. And, uh, you know, the number one language you are taking in school in Norway these days? Spanish. <laughs> because they haven't had enough. And they're astonished when I talk about the fact that in this country, so many of us are monolingual or speak even half a language. <laughs> um, and uh, they can't understand what the hostility is towards bilingualism. And for them, a poem like the one we just heard, it, much more natural experience, because they're used to poets blending the languages and cultures together. It makes sense to them. It should make sense to everybody.
1: Thank you. I
2: I think um, it's interesting because I I think about English and um, English is my first language. um, And growing up we would be spoken to in Spanish sometimes and then I would answer back in English because I felt shy or like I wasn't grammatically using the language correctly. um, and had to push my way out of that more and more as I got older. But um, I think about all the different Englishes that I speak depending on who I'm speaking to, or all the different Englishes that I hear even in my family which is interesting like the music of my Aunt Marcia is very different from the music of my father who, this is his third language and it's very different and the phrasing is different. Um, and then I think about the Spanish and I agree like bola, wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, the ah, depending on what my sense of um, how I mean to describe wedding, um, something about the ah opens the mouth in a way that I just love, and sometimes that's the word. Or wedding, some other times, is the word. Um, but I think, I hope to use all the languages that I can, but I think for me it's kind of being on the outside of language, I guess, too like tigrinha or the Spanish when I'm reaching for a word, I think that that informs kind of, um, or seems somehow wedded to the process of writing and trying, like the trying to hear what's being said, or tigrinha, I don't speak tigrinha, I just speak a little bit and that's one of my father's languages. And I think too that gets you attentive to gesture very early, or sound or tone. so you're in a room and people are talking politics and maybe you don't understand everything but you're attuned to the music and so how do you speak in english that tries to catch the music of tigrinya or um so i think always that was so interesting and striking to me and i think that that c- comes into my process of trying to trying to make mm-hmm. m- music with poems
1: like you said there are many englishes and Martín. there yeah more, perhaps more than one sensibility. Yeah. This is uh, brings me to, to another thought. I think uh, uh, this country is quite suspicious of those that are bilingual or trilingual, and it's an effort to, uh, to create such a homogeneous and yeah. monolingual and such a society that is based on isolation. Um, I guess perhaps that is the ideology of, of uh, a decaying empire. I am very moved by both of your uh, poems and your poetry, especially Martin when you mentioned that uh, human rights, uh, immigration is the number one uh, human rights issue in this country right now and you can be driving in Alabama and they can stop you in the street. Um, I uh, don't look too suspicious but if I Begin to speak. I have an accent, so I think that I could also be detained in Alabama or Georgia. Uh, 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 coming from a um, uh, Latin American, Spanish, Hispanic tradition, poetry matters. You can fill stadiums with people listening to poetry. But this may sound like a very trite and simple question, but I want to figure out and to share this with our audience, with students, how to make poetry matter. Uh, How how do we make this matter? We see people uh, sitting around in Wall Street. We see the, the Arab Spring. We see the Chilean student revolt. How could we make poetry matter in this country? How could we make people go home instead of watching the six o'clock news and sit around with a poem. How could we make language meaningful again Mm -hmm. in this society? This is a huge question, but uh, I believe a necessary one.
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, we could have a conference on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's too boring. Yes.
3: First of all, I would say that poetry does matter. That in spite of uh, the dire forecasts, more people are writing poetry, and more people are reading poetry than ever before. And the new technology has uh, something to do with that. Um, We are sharing our poetry with the world in a way that wasn't possible before. I have been now translated into about 15 languages. Uh, A lot of that has to do with people who find me on the internet and say, can I translate you into Hindi or Farsi, okay. Um, So we begin with that. Let's also begin with the observation that many times I encounter people who will come up to me and say, poetry saved my life. Now, usually these are people whose lives were in need of saving, Uh, people who had uh, found themselves in conditions of extremity, to use the phrase from Carolyn Forche. But there might have been people in prison, people in mental hospitals, It might have been people coming out of uh, terrible inner-city schools, there might have been people coming out of abusive homes who were uh, uh, beaten uh, and battered physically and emotionally. Um, and they will tell you, in all sincerity, poetry saved my life. And if you don't understand what that means, they'll explain it. They'll tell you, I was, this was, you know, I was here, and this was happening to me, and I picked up this book, and everything changed. I decided I had to get out of here. I decided I had to become something different. I decided I had to become a poet. Um, and sometimes people will say this in reference to my own poetry, but they will say it in reference to poetry more generally. I remember having an encounter with a young man in Los Angeles just before a reading. And he came into the room and this guy was covered from head to toe in tattoos. And he was, he was a lot bigger than I am. Um, you know, he was like my son. My son is six foot seven. Fortunately, he follows voice commands. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I looked up at this guy and he looked down at me and he said, your poetry saved my life. And I said, okay, if you say so. And it turned out he had been in jail half Puerto Rican, half Mexican and had discovered my poetry in jail, decided he wanted to be a poet, got out of jail, and somehow got into an MFA program at UCLA. And once he had gotten this story out, this giant collapsed in my arms and sobbed. And I had to steer him to the corner of the room so others wouldn't see this happening because he was mortified. And yet he felt necessary to come to me and say this. And he had traveled a long way to say it. Um, So I can never believe that poetry doesn't matter. That's a separate question from saying, how can poetry matter more? What can we do? And poets have to recognize a certain responsibility, which is to reconcile language with truth. Right. Um, think of it this way. What are we experiencing politically in this country? There's a constant attempt to divorce language from meaning. And instead we get the language of euphemism. My favorite, of course, is enhanced interrogation.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? It sounds like enriched bread.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, but that's torture. And you use the word torture, that's a showstopper, right? Um, because no one's in favor of torture, but there are millions of people in this country now in favor of enhanced interrogation, right? Divorcing language from meaning. We, as poets, have to reconcile language with meaning, right? If this kind of language, enhanced interrogation, uh, drains the blood from words, we as poets have to restore the blood to words, right? And that is a separate question once we've accepted our responsibility as poets from marketing. How do we do that? Well, it would be lovely if we had our own television network. This is one reason why, you know, I'm always baffled when people talk about the success of the Tea Party. They've got their own television network. It's not a coincidence. Now, if we had, you know, we had, what, Poetry Fox? No, I wouldn't want to see that. (laughs) But, you know, if we had our own television network, (laughs) people would be reading and talking about poetry a thousand times more than they are now, right? But that's a separate question. Marketing. And when it comes to marketing, I'm the village idiot, so I'll pass that on you. Yeah.
2: I don't know that I'm so good at that either. Uh, I was thinking about being on the train, um, the subway, and I was looking at this ad for like instant, instant oatmeal. And it's like, you can do it in 30 seconds, I think, something, and I was baffled as I was looking at it. Why, why do you need to make oatmeal in 30 seconds? Um, and I was just thinking about the speed of that particular particular city, but just how quickly, which we're, we're supposed to do things. And I'm thinking of um, making a generalization about the United States, but how, you know, um, all of this marketing about how to do things more quickly so that you can what? so that you can have time to work your five jobs or your three jobs or so you can watch TV or, um, and I was just thinking of speed and how, um, poems take, you know, time. Um, they don't, you can read a poem in two minutes or three minutes and maybe that's fine and you go about your day or you can sit with a poem and have a discussion for an hour. Um, and I was thinking of sitting down to write a poem and the time that that takes, and I think that there's something really um, profound, deep, important about stopping to do something that's not all about making money. Um, with that said, I think it's also there are the pressures of, of jobs, but I think that when I think about art making in general, there's something um, it speaks, t- it can speak with capitalism, it can also stop us for a moment and have ask us to ask questions and I think certainly their uh, poetry matters. Um, but I'm thinking about my st- um, high school students that I've worked with who, one of them, Joani, um, she was just a strong-headed Fireball, who says, you know, I want, I want us to have an after-school poetry program, and we're like, oh, we don't know if there's the money, we don't know, we not know, and um, we said, okay, let's let's just let's let's just try it out. We'll try as a school to just see what happens, and a lot of a lot of students were like, yes, I want to do this, and a lot of students thought poetry is not for me. I don't know what a poem is. Um, poems aren't written about me, about my world, and I th- I'm thinking about when they started reading Whitman or Martin's work or Nazim Hikmet, or Lucille Clifton um, Christopher Smart I think they were (coughs) they're looking at the poems and they're alive but I think that they hadn't been taught to spend time and that their imagination was part of the the poem depended on their imagination in a sense too Um, and so I think about Um, education I think about interceptions like what happens if we all write out a poem that we love and stick it in the middle of the newspaper um, or in a book in the library um, and intervene in kind of quiet ways I think we're hungry for it whenever I find something in a library book I'm like oh what is this you know Mm -hmm. it might be notes and I'm just so intrigued who wrote this with their hand Um, so I just wanted to also say, I remember I was in El Salvador for this writers' conference and there were a bus, we were in a bus full of poets and um, we were coming from the market to somewhere, we were going somewhere for a reading and there was, um, the street was blocked off and the driver gets to the front and he says, "Um, I'm with the poets and the there was a guard with his rifle. And this was, this was just a street. This was not the street of our destination. It was a street we needed to get through to get to our destination. And he says, the poets are here, the poets are here. And they moved it. And we come through, and people are clapping, and I just thought,
1: ah, oh, like,
2: where does that happen? Or uh, when I was in Eritrea, Mahmoud Darwish, um, he had, he, the great poet, he died while I was in Eritrea. CNN is on, and they're showing the funeral, and I'm in another part of the house and I hear my dad calling me and he says, do you know who this poet is? And I say, yeah. And you can see the footage of um, Palestinians who are listening to Mahmoud Darwish's voice um, over the loudspeaker. And by heart, they're all saying his poems. Nobody has paper, they're saying his poems, they have them in their chests and they're crying. And and my dad said, oh, did you you know? Poet, poet, poetry could do that, and I thought, yes, but I also thought, oh, it was also new to me. There's something about public, I feel like I crave public spaces where there's more,
1: more, more. Yes.